0: Hello and welcome to Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben.
1: Hi there, Steve.
0: Well, this is a slightly different episode for us as we welcome back to the podcast our guest from episode one, Dave Hooligard. Welcome back, Dave. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. No, it's it's great to have you with us. And for those of you who have listened to Dave's episode from back in March, you'll recall that Dave mentioned his plans to record some new music and hopefully come back on the show to share it with us. And somehow, despite lockdown and the political situation in the US, he has managed to write and record new music and more besides. But before we get into that, how are things with you, Dave, where you are and have you been affected by what's been going on?
2: Wow, uh, it, it has been a, a while since we talked. It it feels like um gosh, it was less than three months ago, but where we're at is a completely different situation than where it was the last time we spoke. Um it has been a, a very challenging time. Um of course the the pandemic has been uh has made things very complicated, just kinda everyday life has, has been difficult. I, I think you guys have experienced we talked a little bit about the, the you know shortage of supplies and things like that. That seems to have loosened up a little bit, which is nice. But um, there's become this kind of war about masks uh, over here, which is is strange. I'm not sure if you're experiencing that as well. But um, people really just kind of get nasty with each other over who's wearing masks and who isn't. Um, so that's kind of made going out in public a, li- a little unpleasant. <laughs> uh, and then on top of that, uh, I- I'm sure it's it's no secret, you know, politically what's what's been happening over here as well, which has, has also been uh, very, very hard um, to, to do. But um, but there's a lot of important work that's happening and um, I'm very proud to be a part of that.
1: Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about that? I mean, obviously we're talking about, we're referencing the Black Lives Matters and everything mm-hmm. that's come from from the upheaval and this clearly spread over here and spreading globally. Um, mm-hmm. What's your sort of involvement been in that and uh, as such then, Dave?
2: I think the most important thing is no matter how educated you think you might be, about these matters, uh, there's so much more that, that you need to know and, and so much more that you need to learn. And one of the things that's really come out is that it's not enough to just not be racist or to just despise uh, racial injustice. You have to actively be anti-racist. And I think that's something that really kind of hit home with me is is kind of looking at my own life and saying, What am I doing, you know, or what am I not doing, you know? And one of the things that I've actively wanted to do is get involved with organizations. So we have the NAACP over here, we have Black Lives Matter over here, um, we have Color of Change over here. So these are organizations that are all actively working uh, to just make life better um, and and really kind of (laughs) dedicate a lot of resources to what you know non people of color can be doing to help people of color in these situations, and uh, specifically as it pertains to the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, we, we have a problem over here in the US. I'm sure that it's not exclusive to the US, but um, it's definitely a problem that has come to light in a way that has made the, the whole world take notice. Um, I, I see um, calls for donations, uh, The Guardian, for example, is doing calls to donations, uh, calls for donations to raise money for Black Lives Matter funds, and it's it's so I'm trying to think of a way to say it. It's it's comforting to see that people are actively banding together and realizing that we have an extremely tough fight that needs to be fought. Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's so upsetting that it took such a, a, horrendous act to finally bring everybody to that point. And, and that's kind of where, where I am, where I'm like, I, I can't, I have to be doing more. I, I, I can't just be going on about life. Just thinking everything is fine everywhere until I hear something bad in the news. Cause that's not the way it works. So that's, that's really a big part of, of what I'm trying to do now is just be much more proactive.
1: It does feel strangely that, this time around, like you say it's it's something taken something so horrific, but it does feel like it has unlocked things um in in a very different way doesn't it mm-hmm. like in a much more impactful way and obviously that started in the u s but clearly has spread over here and before we were talking we started our conversation with you today, Steve and I were both talking about sharing some um, instances around that and I think experiences with our you know we've both got relatively young children and have been involved in discussions with our kids around Mm -hmm. you know their insight and their uh, understanding and it's a difficult but um, it gives you a kind of a, a, a reflection when you're sharing stuff with your child and trying to Get your own deeper understanding of of a situation. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, these are, are are difficult conversations to have, and we just don't have the luxury of of not having them anymore. Um, you know, I i I'd never try to <clears throat> to pick fights with my friends on <laughs> on social media. Um, you know, even when we have differing opinions on things. But <clears throat> one of the things that's really come to light, I think, is seeing uh, this discourse that's been very productive, like I'm seeing people really bringing things to the table that they don't normally talk about because it's, it's, well, social media is my escapism. You know, like I, I want to, I want to have like my one corner of the world where everything is okay. And I, I think what what we're learning is that we can't do that. And, and social media is such a powerful tool that no one's saying stop talking about the positive things in your life uh, or or you know sharing pictures of beautiful things like these are these are still good positive things that we're putting out into the world it's just don't let that completely take over from the important conversations that still need to be
0: having that's absolutely right and I'm sort of given that and that you're a creatively minded person has have you found yourself uh, kind of thinking about getting some of those thoughts and ideas out creatively as well. I, I
2: think that that's that's definitely one of the things about uh, you know being a creative of, of any type. You know uh, whether you write music or, or tell stories or you know anything creative is is that it, it's a fantastic outlet for expression, and it's it's also it's therapeutic in in a way that you know you maybe have these really complicated feelings that you can't always put into words when you're speaking you know like even right now talking to you guys and and i find myself sometimes just reaching for like what is it i'm trying to say what's the right word what's you know and but yet when you're sitting down with your guitar or uh your pen and paper whatever that is in front of you it's like that's that's when it really comes to you like you really it's in those moments where what's inside really does find a way to come out and I'm I'm grateful uh, to have that outlet that you know it, it, it is an amazing an amazing tool uh, to help you on, on your own kind of self discovery of, of what it is you want to say what you want to contribute to the conversation
0: oh yeah absolutely I, I, yeah i i i share that gratitude to to have that those sorts of outlets and this i don't know if you listened to the our last episode mm-hmm. that we that we had with vet pike but vet talked about um the purpose of song and what song is good for uh, as opposed to you know uh of a creative vehicle like a film or a book mm-hmm. what, what serves the the narrative best and i've re- i thought a lot about that actually since uh, since we had that that conversation with a and and around you know sort of working out ideas um yeah, getting your pen on some paper to kind of try and articulate what you're feeling, because I'm not the most articulate person in the world. I don't know why the hell I'm doing a podcast. That's a ridiculous thing, but, but here
1: we are. <laughs> I think I think one of the one of the other things that's come out through the conversations that we've been having, Steve, is around this sort of what a life force creativity is, and certainly I know you and I have talked about it over the years, anyway. But I know for me personally that having the ability to sit down and be be creative to be making something to put something out in the world it makes things feel all right you know and and the 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 sort of converse the opposite of that is that when that isn't in present in my life um it feels weird it feels odd and strange and sometimes it takes a little bit a little bit of time to realize that that's if that if that's missing you know suddenly you have a wake-up moment Ah, that's why i'm feeling (laughs) why i'm feeling strange because it is so much about Um, about making sense of things isn't it not in necessarily in the most direct you know Mm head-on way but just in a you know how your how your life feels in general
2: yeah i've actually had this conversation with a friend of mine recently about the the use of metaphor is one of the things in in music because you think about if a filmmaker wants to tackle a, a very complicated subject and maybe there's 90 minutes of kind of guaranteed screen time to tell that story. There's a lot of ground you can cover. And as a musician, you might be thinking, I've got four minutes at at a maximum to kind of convey what it is I, I want to get across. And we do that because we don't, we don't always tell complete stories through song in a linear way. Um, we might only take a, a portion of the story that we want to tell, and and that's kind of this four minutes in this song, and and you, we could have another song that is sometimes subconsciously it, it's you know a, a sister song of sorts, you know where you know maybe we'll we'll take another another run at it from a different angle, and and I was thinking a lot about that, and I, I guess sometimes I do that without even realizing it because you you know you can tell a story and feel like. You know, maybe you feel good about it. You can walk away from it, feeling like you got out what you wanted to say. But then, sooner or later, you know, you might think I am really not done with that subject, and and I still have
0: more that wants to come out. Yeah, you mentioned before, but you, you're talking about film, that, and have you have you pursued that idea of writing a screenplay? Is that something that is that where that conversation came from?
2: I've I've tried to experiment with screenplay um because novels just didn't work out for me in in the same way uh that i had hoped you know novels while fun and 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 a really good exercise uh overall you know at the end of of 90 000 plus words and just feeling like it was completely unremarkable um and and that's kind of a difficult thing to admit to yourself when you you can think of the time and effort you spent into writing 90,000 words and saying, I'd haven't accomplished anything in these 90,000 words that, you know, writers way better than I am, haven't already done and, and better. So, you know, I, I, I thought maybe, you know, for me, a better format is screenplay. And I've, uh, I haven't done anything outside of, um, science fiction which is still uh my 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 true love when it comes to storytelling uh but i i did since the last time we spoke i actually did finish uh, a screenplay and now i'm kind of in that in that process of what do i do now like it, it it needs some um some assistance from uh from professionals but but i'm i'm just so glad to have any kind of outlet to just express and and tell stories and you know whether it's music, novels, screenplays. I, I really feel like I've found my niche in this uh, in this crazy
0: world. <laughs> so, so, so new music mm-hmm. is is one of the things that we're here to talk about. And you have new music to to share with us. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you've how you've managed to negotiate all of this stuff that's <laughs> going on to, to to get your head clear and uh and and active to to make some new music? What, how how's that come together? Yeah,
2: I mean, I. I really didn't know that that 2020 was going to be uh, the year that I, I would be coming back to thinking about music again. Uh, it's just, it's something that really went by the wayside, which we talked about in the, in the last interview. But, um, mm-hmm. when I played a, a couple of live shows earlier this year in, in February and getting that feel again, there's an energy in, in playing music that's so difficult to describe. But if you, if you, you know, if you've ever done it is, you know, immediately like what that, what that feeling is. And it just really reignited my love of, of wanting to get back in a studio and presenting these songs in a, in a format that I've always wanted to, you know, like sometimes in my head, I can hear these really elaborate full production versions of these songs. Um, the movie uh, begin again with uh, Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley is a, is a, fantastic example if you've never seen it highly recommended um, but there's a scene where Mark Ruffalo's character goes to a bar he sees Kira Knightley performing just acoustic on stage by herself but in his head he's adding all the other instrumentation and and that's kind of what was happening mm. with me so I uh, I had the opportunity to get into a studio for a couple of hours before the whole, Uh, pandemic (laughs) lockdown started to happen and I think that was right about the time I I spoke to you guys Um, and I I got kind of a a shell of about five songs uh, where just my acoustic guitar was down and from there I've been doing a combination of recording some parts at home um, passing along the files to other musicians like all across uh, the country so they can add their pieces and then Giving it right back to a producer to kind of put it all together and put the final the final touches on it So of those five One is completed uh, called the lighthouse that came out um, May I believe it was uh, May 22nd and Then there's a a new one called silver stars, which is in its final stages of mastering as we speak so uh, It's going to be ready for the world here very very shortly and I, I expect to have it out uh, by the end of July. Uh, and then there'll be one more kind of right behind that in August. And then from there we'll we'll kind of see what happens with the other two uh, because I, I do need to get back into the studio and uh, do some finishing or some some retakes, <laughs> I should say. Um, but I do plan to have it at, at a bare minimum yeah, bare minimum, I, I expect to have these five songs all released this year and uh, and hopefully more after that.
1: So what's the what's the process like been like of um, writing and recording remotely with people? Is that something you've done before, or is this a, a first time in doing that? For it, you this today? was
2: entirely new, and and I've I've heard plenty of stories from other people who have done it. And uh, there's a, a an excellent band called Signal Hill that has been doing this for over a decade, where they're all spread out, and they record everything over four track, and then just pass along the files and just keep, keep recording and passing. Um, and there's something really cool about it because uh, I use a, a service called sound Better, And it's basically a, a hub of musicians. Most of them are, I would say like uh, have some professional experience in, in some way, whether they've performed in the studio with, with famous musicians or perhaps just done, uh, like live shows with with famous musicians, but they they've had a lot of experience, and that's really what I was doing when I was looking for who's going to help me bring out the sound that I'm looking for. Like when when I hear in my head, who's going to help me? You know, who will be the best position to do that? And and I started looking at bass players and just looking at the the types of artists that these bass players had had worked with, and I found um, a gentleman named john thomason in nashville who is currently active with a, a country band called little big town um it's not my kind of music but in the past he's also done studio work for juliana hatfield and uh, matt nathanson and when i saw that i'm like sold whatever whatever this guy's is charging <laughs> he, he's <Yeah>. my guy <laughs> And it's just so it's just so turned out that we've we've gelled so well. Um, I'm I'm so happy with what he's been able to do with my songs, and you know, and I I've really just kind of ta- taken that same process uh, with drums and uh, cellos and things like that, and really just looking for people that have collaborated with some of my favorite artists. And I figure, you know, if if they can lend their talents to you know, to people that that I love and that, that I own their music, then you know, certainly
0: they can they can help a nobody like me. <laughs> well, I, I did wonder about the strings when you sent the track over, mm-hmm. and so so all of those strings were done through Sound Better, Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. One one person did uh, did all of those strings. Uh, it's, it was eleven tracks
0: worth of strings. <laughs> it's
2: amazing, <laughs> and worth every penny. Uh, and he uh, he has actually worked with Regina Spector, Uh, Quite a bit in the past and and that was a a huge draw for me Seeing that and being like, okay, well now now I know what you're capable of so, you know, let's see what you can do with my songs and he uh, One of my favorite things and I told him this is that he doesn't treat my music like I'm an unknown artist he doesn't just say you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this guy 30% because he's not Regina Specter. He, he treats me with all the same, more importantly, treats my music with all the same respect that he would treat somebody on a, on a highly professional level. And, and I think that that comes through in the music when you hear it. Um, he's giving 100% easily.
1: Oh, the strings sound great on that. the little The little middle eight break and the strings in that song were my were my favorite part. Really, yeah, really lovely.
2: Yeah, uh, my producer actually said that he could tell just listening to this. He said this is someone who knows how to write songs. Um, like he just he knows where to play and and when to drop out. And it's like I don't have to give him any any notes at all. I just turn over the files, and next thing I know, I get back this amazing orchestration and. Uh, again, worth every penny. I, I could not be happier.
0: When we spoke before, you talked about uh, uh, one of your songs going uh, to uh, the producer hearing the song and then embellishing, playing mm-hmm. all the other instrumentation on. You talked about that, the feeling of of hearing that music back. Mm-hmm. That so having these people who are kind of this disparate group of people around the country who are then contributing and not hearing each other's mm-hmm. but that, that uh, uh parts until the song's finished um that's very exciting isn't it it's a yeah. really exciting way to work and actually you know that to to if you're not in a position to get in a rehearsal room and work with a band uh, and work your songs up it's a it's a really positive way to be working, isn't it? You get the excitement of getting those files come in and hear what people have done. And are you able to then kind of talk to people and say, well, I I like it, but can you change this? And can you change that? And how does that work? Yeah, that was the one thing that
2: I was unsure of uh, in this experience is, you know, working with people who have so many professional credits and have so much more experience than I could ever dream of. And I'm like, our egos going to become an issue? You know, are, are we going to get to a point where if I give any kind of feedback, is it going to be like, well, that's adorable, but this is what you get? <laughs> and and it it really hasn't been like that at all. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I found the most flattering is people's willingness to talk before we even get to the the listening and recording stage. You know, um, I can I can tell. a bass player or a drummer you know like hey when I wrote this song like this other song was a big influence for me and next thing I know they're like yeah that's a great song like let me you know let me think about that and you know I'll shoot you some options and I didn't realize shoot you some options meant four separate drum takes uh, because I can only imagine like the amount of time and, and effort that goes into that and it's not just slight variations. It, it's like sometimes it can be completely different. And, you know, it, it's like giving somebody some options and saying, you know, pick and choose what you think is going to, you know, tell the best story for your song. And, and that was um, such a remarkable experience that I just I didn't expect. I didn't know what to expect uh, going into it. And it, this process has, has more than exceeded my expectations.
1: And it feels like we ought to talk a little bit in case we end up using, you end, you end up choosing the lighthouse. It feels like we ought to focus on that song a bit because the song, when you sent that over clearly is a very deeply personal mm-hmm. song and, and a very straight narrative as you were sort of referencing earlier on. So would you, would you tell us a bit more about how the song came about and, and what it Absolutely.
2: means Absolutely. Um, one of the things that, that we talked about on the, on the last um, interview is that I hadn't played a, a live show in 24 years before um, February. And during that time, I hadn't written a lot of new music in the past 10. So I had a, a lot of, a lot of songs that just never saw the light of day and just didn't know what to do with them, but I wasn't writing a lot of new stuff. And then um in April of last year, my mom passed away. And it was, as you can imagine, a, a, an extremely difficult experience that we all kind of know from an early age that one day we're gonna have to to deal with, but we try not to think about it and and just try to enjoy as much time as we can. And my mom's death, unfortunately, um, was a bit unexpected in the sense that we we just didn't have that luxury of knowing our time was limited, and my mom was by far one of my closest friends. And even now, uh, we're you know we're going on a little over a year since she passed, and and I feel that absence of of what she contributed to my life, and and not just my life, but her role in in our family as a whole. You know, just kind of how she really was the the glue that kept everything on track. And without her, it's just been an experience, um, a a, a bit more challenging experience. So you can imagine the emotions that, that, you know, kind of overwhelm you uh, when losing somebody so close. And I, uh, I didn't spend a lot of time, um, thinking about it. Uh, but, I just picked up a guitar and within a week I had kind of a skeletal version of of what eventually became The Lighthouse. And it was the first complete new song. I I'd, I'd written little pieces here and there over over the years, but it was the first complete new song I'd written in quite some time. And it's simplistic. Um, if you strip out everything else that you hear in the final version, it's it's a very simple song. It's just kind of three pieces, very traditional: verse, chorus, verse. Um, but what's different is that I I wanted to tell the story from a very literal sense, and every lyric in that song is is directly from what that experience was. Uh, leading up to her death and I've received kind of mixed feelings on that I think from from people that have heard the song Um there's some people that felt like the song was too on the nose um, and I can appreciate that but you know given the subject matter I, I think that it, it deserved to be a, a bit more literal um, I, I didn't really want to hide behind a lot of a lot of metaphor uh, like I normally do in, in my songs um it just it felt like this story needed to come out in a different way and i'm a big believer that the 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 song is always going to take you where it wants to go and the lyrics will flow out of your you know out of your brain out of your mouth the way it wants to come out and i wrote many many lines um as i was you know kind of figuring out the lyrics and i would find myself doing things like just taking the dog out for a walk and a melody would come to me. A line would come to me, and I would just grab my phone and sing into my phone, which I'm sure uh, any musician who's ever done that will tell you those are the most embarrassing recordings to ever come back. <laughs> so you want to make sure those get deleted. but uh, <laughs> but they're they're good for just kind of jotting down, you know your your thoughts. and and um, once I had kind of everything put together, there was not a question in my mind what was the first song that needed to be handled at the studio and and that's and that was why the lighthouse was such a a focus um when i recorded these you know five songs uh, there was no doubt this one had to be the first it was really um it just felt like i i needed to honor my mom's memory um as quickly as possible not just because it was approaching the one-year anniversary of her death but because even at that point i was I, i'm I'm still struggling, and so this was really kind of a release for me
0: when you you mentioned before about uh releasing this 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 music mm-hmm. um, and how are you how are you going about that so you've made a video as well for the song yes mm-hmm. um, what what are your plans for the release well, music is kind of been an interesting State. Um, you
2: know, I'm I'm uh, 43 years old now. Um, you know, been listening to to music all my life, and when I think about the music that stuck with me the most, um, it, it's definitely from a, a particular era. You know, like the the 90s are are really sort of my sweet spot and and the the biggest bulk of what I listen to. And one thing I noticed is that music has changed or musical tastes have changed to where people seem to like their songs a bit shorter um maybe with like fewer parts and uh, a little bit more straightforward upbeat seems to be a a big one uh which just it isn't really in my repertoire (laughs) so uh so i knew that i was facing an uphill battle uh from the beginning and i just had to make the decision you know what that's okay if 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 i can put this music out there whoever finds it and, and likes it is going to do so and and hopefully this is how i will reach people and connect with people um but i did follow a lot of guidelines as far as like how to get the music out there you know i i created a Bandcamp page um i'm on spotify and apple music and amazon you know kind of deezer all that stuff i'm in all the places where people are um and i know that that's that's only a small portion you know you really have to have a good marketing approach, if you will. And and so making an official music video with a professional uh, videographer was a big deal for me. I'd never done that before. Um, but that was a, a fantastic experience. Um, he was so cool uh, to work with. He really liked the song. And I, I think that that's, you're not always guaranteed that when you work with somebody creating a uh, you know, based off of your vision, you don't always get the luxury of someone who who actually enjoys what you're doing. Uh, So that I think that the fact that he really liked the song helped him visualize it in a way that that is conveyed so well in in that video. Um, And then I've also started doing um, little small campaigns targeted at at music curators, you know, playlist curators, and um, bloggers, podcasters, things like that, trying to just reach people, I think they say you've got about 20 seconds to win somebody over with a piece of music. And if you're like me and, and your songs are five to six minutes long, you know, a 20 second window is is a really tall order to try to show somebody that they should listen to the remaining four and a half minutes. So (laughs) again, it's, it's really just trying to find the the right 30 second hook to put in front of somebody and, and say, Hey, if I've got your attention, Like, why not consider giving the song a shot? And if nothing else, at the end of the day, we talked about uh, on the last interview that all I had prior to this was, you know, old tape recordings that are not amazing quality. And at the very least now I'm going to have professional sounding studio versions of of these songs that mean a lot to me. And and hopefully uh, I'll be able to find that audience along the way.
0: And have that experience of getting the the thing that, that's in your head, the closest representation to what you hear in your head, actually in in your hand and on your on your stereo. Mm-hmm.
1: I was just going to say, Dave, if you were going to compare and contrast, so trying to navigate your way through releasing this now, and how it felt when you were making those, you know, demos when you were <laughs> younger, and trying to and trying to navigate a potential way into a record deal or whatever that constituted. How do those two things compare and contrast to each other?
2: You know, it's funny you say that because when I was younger and doing the, the garage band thing, really that was the ultimate goal, right? Is is to create that demo that's going to get the attention of an A&R person and, you know, get that sweet, sweet record deal uh, so that I can be, you know, mentioned in the same breath as the bands that meant so much to me at that time. And what I'm finding now in my my later years <laughs> is just that, hmm. you know, this time around, I'm really doing it more for me and 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 i I hope that there's an audience for it because I love sharing this with people, but but i I feel like I have to make sure I'm satisfied with it first. and i I, I can't put something out that I'm not in love with and and this has actually come up uh, with um trying to figure out with my producer which song should come next because the lighthouse and, you know, like we said, that was, that was always going to be number one. So we focused a lot on that, which is why it's taken a while to get the next song ready to go. But we've been back and forth because I had a version of silver stars that was almost ready. And I just, I couldn't shake this feeling that it just wasn't reaching the potential that I wanted it to reach. And I, I wasn't sure what that was but I went back to the drawing board and I kind of reattacked the song in a, in a different way and incorporated some other musicians to kind of help me out. And, and I realized like this is the difference between being a solo artist and working in a band is that I miss collaborating with people who can bring their own touches and working through sound better with other musicians has even further reinvigorated my love of making music because, they're drawing out emotion from this song based on their perception. And I'm bringing out, you know, of course, my own emotion. Um, and when you're putting all that together, these songs don't just sound like me. It sounds like I mean, it definitely sounds like me, <laughs> like, <laughs> don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But but I'm I'm really hearing this collaborative work that makes me feel like if if I were to start a band tomorrow, these are the first people I'm going to call. Little Big Town's just going to have to wait.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Something that's sort of intrigued me over the last week, and maybe you as well, Steve. After that conversation with that we had with Yvette, I think sometimes in the last sort of ten or twenty years of making music, we've often had conversations and said, "Oh, I wouldn't want to be starting out now," <laughs> if it, you know, in this in this climate. But actually, after that conversation with Yvette. Um, who yeah. was taking a completely different pathway, had a knowledge of how industry had worked previously, but wasn't you know wasn't taking any of those routes for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons it It left me feeling completely different about that and I was thinking well that allied to the fact that what the, the we've talked about what a what a life force creativity is i don't, i don't think I could say that i wouldn't want to be starting out now because i I know I would want to be starting out mm-hmm. now. I'd have to be making music and actually there's a lot of excitement to be had, isn't there? It's just in, a, di- it's just in a, different, a different time in a different way. You
2: know, the one thing that I would say, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. And, and the one thing I would add to that that I didn't expect is that this really is a, a tale of two careers. Because when I was doing this in my teens and 20s, back in the 90s, when it came to artist identity, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I I knew exactly like who were the the artists that I most closely identified with and what kind of sound I wanted to create. But the thing is, time has moved on since then. (laughs) But my songwriting style and philosophies are still very much rooted in in that era. And here I am in 2020 trying to create music that appeals to that 90s version of, of me and and that's not to say that, like, it's just nostalgia-driven. It's just that that's, that's what my sound is. But if you would ask me in 1996, when I made that demo that you played on, on the last, uh, last show we did, I knew exactly who I wanted to be. And now in, in 2020, when it comes to artist identity, I have no idea. Like, when they they say well give me some contemporaries who do you sound like and i have zero idea uh but the one thing that keeps coming up is people asking me you're a morrissey fan aren't you uh which is about the most flattering thing i think somebody could say about my music is if you can listen to my stuff and come away from it thinking i'm a fan of the smiths and and morrissey then uh that is the biggest compliment someone like me could ever hope for and um I I would I'd be more than happy to have people think that
0: that's that's the sound I'm going for. <laughs> it, it's not a stretch. There's def you definitely hear the Smiths in the Lighthouse. Definitely, yeah, that was one of the one of the first things. Uh, and then yeah, uh, the the sort of that narrative style of Mark Kozilek definitely kept, sort of rang. Uh, through that song, when I when I heard that song, it really reminded me of him.
2: It's funny that you mention him because I, I had recently gone back to one of my favorite albums of my teens, which is the the Red House Painters album that kind of gets, I think, unofficially titled "Roller Coaster." Um, and I I was listening to it um, probably for the first time in a good a good decade, you know, just really listening to it, and and I started to hear it too, and I'm like. Wow, I am borrowing so much from this guy. I feel like I owe him a royalty check. So, <laughs> uh,
1: just returning returning to the sort of the, the, the pandemic thing, and another thing that came up in the um, in the conversation that we had with Yvette last week was mm-hmm. just thoughts on the um, in terms of live music and the live scene. Um, the potential effects of kind of 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 COVID and and that on the live scene and how that might affect, um, you know, smaller venues over in over well, mm-hmm. we we think about it for here, but over in the US, what do you think the effect has been? Might be.
2: I was actually just talking about this with a, a musician friend of mine. Um, they had a a bunch of concerts lined up, uh, for the rest of the year that have all been kind of cancelled one by one. And they had been holding on to a date in September, thinking that you know that was that one was still going to happen. Uh, but since then, have decided that 2020 in general is probably just a wash. Mm-hmm. Probably, um, you know, probably shouldn't be looking at, at at the possibility of gigs in in 2020. And and that's been it's been tough because I, I think that live performances concerts you know in general are are the best form of marketing that a musician can do because it, it really is connecting with the audience giving them an opportunity to just feel the energy of of what you're putting out there um, and obviously the ability to talk to people when a show is over that that's always fun you know when you're packing up and people want to come up and introduce themselves and, and talk about your music that that is a, a great way to just make that connection and without the ability to play and it does look like we're going to be without that ability for for a while um it can feel a little deflating because you think well now what and for me since i have such a robust studio plan you know i i'm i'm content to still keep attacking you know the way that i would have you know uh, i just have to take live performance out of the equation but for my friends here in town that were really kind of they were going the opposite way. It was it was less about putting out music and more about using this year to get out there and do a little mini tour and really start building a fan base before they put out their next release. Um, listening to just the sadness um, in in the in the tone of conversation when we're talking, it breaks my heart because they're they're both. Uh, younger than than I am so um this is a really exciting time in their lives and and it's 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 being taken away for now and um it'll come back you know I, I think we all feel pretty confident that there there is an end to this uh it may not feel like it at the time and it certainly sucks to mm-hmm. be uh to be in it but but I'm, I'm doing my best to try to just try to keep them positive and and just assure them that Th- this does have an end date and we, we will get back to a point where we can safely get out in front of people again. And in the meantime, you know, there are other ways to reach people, whether that's doing the, you know, the Instagram live sessions that have become really popular. Um, you know, obviously Facebook has its, its place as well. Um, and and really just opportunities to keep, keep playing. Um, I think that's the most important part is you, you have to keep playing and i hear people getting discouraged and and telling me that they just can't even feel bothered to pick up a guitar because the weight of the world right now it it's heavy and i feel it too and and i definitely have stretches of time where i don't want to pick up my guitar because i just feel like what does it matter (laughs) but i'm really trying to uh I don't want to use the term mentor, but you know, these younger musicians that are here in this community, I, I, I don't want them feeling that, that sensation of just, I'm done, you know, like this is a pointless cause. And, um, so I'm just trying to rally, just just pick up your guitar and play. If it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just, just give yourself that 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Cause it does matter. It's, it's, it's really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you know, I was just thinking then about, about, um, touring in the U S and uh, um, you know, cause p- there is that perception. I have the perception that you could have a, a, a band that never, never leaves the country cause you can ju- cause it's so big and there's so many, so many places to play. Mm-hmm. And actually the sort of wider impact of the small independent venues, uh, um, the impact of COVID-19 on those is, I mean, it's massive mm-hmm. for the country and massive culturally it's not just you know the sort of um, more obvious venues. There's a there's a huge mm. network, really complex network of uh, that that supports the development of live music at grassroots at a grassroots mm-hmm. level. That's defunct at the moment, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's certainly a lot of concerns here, Dave. That smaller venues may just go under and may yeah. not come back at all some of the small venues and some of the some of the really cool small promoters as well that are working here in London and probably across the country that maybe yeah. you know they might not they might not be around unless people, unless people musicians and communities and uh, you know various people group together and start supporting and mm-hmm. thinking about it now before stuff happens I mean that I think you know that is going to be that's going to be theatre and, and music and all sorts of cultural stuff that and certainly in this country could easily go by the wayside because we've got a a government that just doesn't put any put any stock in supporting that kind of stuff at all
2: i can relate (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i mean i mean we uh we're experiencing a lot of that too with like like smaller venues It, it started around here um with like restaurants you know where we started hearing kind of one by one that the, these restaurants weren't going to reopen and that the, you know, the impact of the, the pandemic had just put them in a spot financially where they just weren't going to be able to reopen. And now that's expanding to things like small concert venues and and things like that, which um, it, it really does have you thinking about when we make it through the other side of, of all of this, what's going to be waiting for us? and i i know that when it comes to culture and entertainment and these things that that we love so well we we're gonna have to rally together to support them and i'm i mean i'll i'll be there every step of the way to do that because i i love my entertainment you know don't get me wrong a a night you know with with whatever's on netflix and and whatnot is pure entertainment and, and i'm happy but but also there there's nothing like that experience of of getting out and and seeing live music or theater um anything in the arts there's just there's there's nothing you can't replicate that no matter what it it it, yeah, it doesn't matter how great hd programming gets it's like you can't feel music the same way as you can being there in person
0: yeah absolutely and and throughout the pandemic one of the things that is really um Resonated with people or that people have turned to is uh, music and mm-hmm. and film and and the arts um, for comfort and for uh, for something to do for as mm-hmm. a way of connecting as a way of sharing yeah. their experiences. People have absolutely run at creativity and the arts as a uh, for for all of those reasons, and I think that uh, it's important to keep to remind people of that you mm-hmm. know when things were difficult when you were isolated from everything else that was you know important to you one of the sources of comfort and support was being able to be creative or be or, or feel the benefit of other people's creative output yeah well look can... Dave I think we're at that point of uh, of drawing to a close thank you so much for uh, for for being on the show again it's nice to see you as well as speak to you which we didn't we didn't get to see you last time so that's really nice
1: <laughs> it's it, it was so nice to catch up with you david it's strange though that we only had that conversation of like one hour <laughs> or less than one hour before but yeah but it feels like we know you pretty well already it would be um i hope there's a time when we get to meet at some point right that would be nice
2: someday <laughs> this is all going to be over and we can travel again. And you know, if we find ourselves even remotely close, like let's, let's do that. Beers are on me.
0: Hey, yeah,
2: you're on, you're on.
0: (laughs) Well, in, uh, as is traditional for the show, we need to close out with a song, uh, but we haven't fully decided which song we're going to close out with. You might need to do, you might need need to do do two outros. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we, well, we've got kind
2: of two options here. Um, so depending on how things shake out with, uh, with the final mastering of my, my new single, um, you know, we'll either have the lighthouse or, or silver stars and, um, I'll just do a, a just a quick intro of both. Uh, we, we talked at length about, uh, the lighthouse or I, I guess I did, i uh, <laughs> talked at length about, about the lighthouse earlier and, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the song and, my only goal with it was to create something that my mom would have would have loved and to be fair my mom would have loved anything i created because she uh, yeah. she was just so supportive but um but i i, I really feel like this one would have would have been uh something special for her so i'm i'm honored that i got to work with such talented musicians to help me bring it to life in a way that just strumming an acoustic guitar in my bedroom wasn't doing. <laughs> um, and I, I hope that people will uh, will understand that it is a sad song. Um, it is it is a very literal, dark and and depressing kind of song. But the music itself is not really so sad. Um, you know, I I, I think that um, I got a lot of interesting feedback about that. That people were confused because the song. Didn't seem to match the tone of the vocals, and I thought that's a really good example of my style. Uh, the lyrics and the and the music tone may not always align, and and that's what I I hope makes me um, stand out a little bit. Um, Silver Stars was a, a song that it's it follows a a kind of similar stripped down acoustic uh, feel. With uh with some cello and all the other accompaniment, and it it wound up being a little bit more um, '90s influenced, I should say. And it it is it's almost two songs in one because you you get this sort of mellow acoustic song that explodes into a epic Smashing pumpkin sort of finale there at the end. Um, I, I really hope that uh, that people will dig it that it they can stick with it long enough to. <laughs> to get to the the loud crunchy end but uh <laughs> but i'm i'm just i'm i'm honored to have people listen you know, honestly either either way
0: thanks man that's fantastic
2: i